The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing striving this week as every week to be your public radio source for the information inspiration and motivation you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business going to be a busy couple of weeks here in the uh in the maple no listening area in terms of uh, real estate events uh, tomorrow night is cincinnati ria's first meeting for the month of february and it's a big one Joe Varnador is coming all the way from Florida to speak at the main meeting about how to buy and sell notes and mortgages, a topic that you probably ought to be familiar with if you plan to be in the real estate investing business, because it's been my experience that even if you're not out looking for those deals, they occasionally will pop their heads up. And if you don't know how to, you don't know how to deal with them, you're walking away from some potential income that you don't need to be walking away from. Something that's really exciting about tomorrow night's meeting is Rhea's first ever note marketplace from 6 to 7. Folks who have seller-held mortgages and land contracts that they would like to turn into cash will be presenting them uh, for possible sale to the folks in the audience. So if you are someone who has a note that you would like to sell or is potentially interested in investing in notes... You want to make super sure that you are at the meeting at 6 o'clock this particular meeting in honor of Joe's long and sadly cold trip from Florida to Ohio is a guest night, which means everybody can attend free. You can download your guest pass at CincinnatiRia.com and also get more information about how to participate in the note marketplace as a potential seller of a note. Uh, If you come at 530, there's even a free light dinner so uh, just just go to, leave work, go straight to the meeting. It's out in Blue Ash. It's easy to get to. Get more information at CincinnatiRia.com. Uh, next week, the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs in Columbus meets on Tuesday. Um, Joe Varnador is also the speaker at that meeting. We figured while he was in Ohio, we weren't going to let him leave because he might never come back, at least not in the wintertime. Uh, and um, uh, the early meeting uh, there at Central Ohio RIA is uh, uh, a split meeting uh, for new investors. It's all about how to find the value of properties. But for active investors, it's about 1031 exchanges. And my guest today is the presenter uh, at that meeting. And before I forget about it, you can get more information about that if you're in the Columbus area at centralohioria.com. 
Um, it's Scott Ellsworth, who is a real estate investor, CPA, uh, treasurer of the nonprofit Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati, a uh, guy who does a lot of, of tax planning and um, uh, probably sometimes um, helping people out of situations when they haven't done tax planning mm-hmm. uh, for real estate entrepreneurs uh, all over the area. And uh, he's here today to fill us in on a topic that, golly, has not been really a thing for about the last decade, but now is again, and that is the 1031 Exchange. Um, Scott, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm just going to turn this phone off. I don't have any idea how that ringer got on. I never turn my ringer on. Um, and the folks who want to order flowers from me because somehow my cell phone number is on, it's on the contact list for one of those big national flower companies. And I'm constantly getting calls from florists asking me to fulfill floral orders. And I've asked them like 900 times to take me off their list. And I'm just going to start answering them and saying that I'm going to, I'm going to deliver the flowers and then maybe they'll get me off their list when I don't do it like 10 times in a row. Right. Um, so just we're going to spend the entire hour talking about this topic because it's a super powerful thing that a lot of people are kind of vaguely aware of, but they don't they don't know how to use it. Uh, so let's just start off with sort of a, a brief description of what a 1031 exchange is. Well, 1031 exchange, the 1031 stands for the IRS code, which is really meaningless to most people. They could care less what it was called. But it is the ability to take a property you own, piece of investment, and exchange it and not have to pay the, the gain on that sale. So essentially you sell the property, buy another one, and avoid paying the, all the taxes on the gain of that one you're selling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So basically, unlike a lot of other investments where you cannot sell them and make a profit without paying tax on that profit, mm-hmm. uh, real estate and then certain kinds of business equipment that only specialized businesses would really know about can be sold and all of the money taken and used for the next investment. Correct. That's that seems like a super duper big deal, but it also seems like it. I, you know, we used to always have either books on the shelves. There were speakers coming to Ria about it, and I. It, it has seriously been ten years since I heard anybody say, "Oh yeah, I'm doing 1031 exchanges." Why is that? Well, I think a lot of it is is. In the past years, now the market's picked up. You know, the past years, everybody, their their values were down. They didn't want to sell. Uh, people that were trying to buy were trying to steal it from them. They weren't going to sell it, or they were getting foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. So there really was an opportunity to uh, like kind of exchange, and now there is. And it's a great property values have gone up. Um, and that really, you know, whether it's rentals or what have you, it it's gone up. So now... You've got property that's worth more uh, than it even was potentially before the the big crash, and uh, and now people want to get into something else, maybe bigger, something slightly bit different, but still in the real estate arena, and uh, they don't want to pay the the tax on the sale of the other one because you know they might have held it for you know a lot of its depreciable life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're we're going to get into how depreciation plays into this, but. Um... I know that my father had bought a, a an apartment building back in 1976, and he paid practically nothing for it. It was it was half empty, tenant strike going on, roaches, you know, the whole nine yards. Right. And then and then 
by the time he sold it in oh uh, five or oh six, um, it was a million dollar property. I mean, it was in it was in a you know student area right on a a busy corner that you know high traffic, high value. And um, when my mother was very surprised to find that she owed taxes on the entire sale price, it no longer mattered what he had paid or what he owed. And and the tax bill was you know overwhelming. It was humongous. It was like right. in the three hundred thousand dollar range, which is a right. lot of money uh, to pay in taxes. So um, it is uh, it's a good it's a good thing to know about, and it's a good thing to stop and consider any time you're thinking about selling a property that you have held. Absolutely. So so having said that. <laughs> There, there are rules. It's the IRS. There are rules out the wazoo about this. And one is about who can even take advantage of the 1031 exchange. Because I know there's a bunch of wholesalers out there going, oh, I can sell the property without having to pay taxes on it. That's the best thing I ever heard. So who actually gets gets to use this? You really need to be an investor. If you are truly, truly a wholesaler, and a lot of that has to do with intent, which we can talk about uh, during our time tonight, um, it it is the person who own, who holds a property for an investment, uh, for or an active use of a trader business. It's not I'm buying a property, fix it up, sell it. Buy a property, fix it up, sell it. Or I'm just wholesaling a property because at that point I'm more considered a dealer. Um, and there are some ways around it, but but it's it, it if if the reality is the intent was to buy it and sell it, and not hold it for an investment. You're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between using real estate as inventory, which is what wholesalers and retailers do. The the whole purpose from day one is, you know, as soon as possible, get rid of it and uh, not not hold it and rent it. Uh, but there's there's some other folks out there who kind of do so so landlords obviously right yep. I mean they bought it to rent it and then maybe exactly. it 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 ceases to uh, serve its purpose or maybe they move they want to go like you said go to a different kind of property they can use a 1031 exchange but what about somebody like a lease uh, somebody who's done a lease option like I bought it I maybe rented it to the tenant for two or three years maybe that tenant moved out and another one <laughs> did it again. Is someone who's in a lease option able to do a 1031 exchange? Yeah, I would argue that you could do it with a lease option. I don't think that'd be a problem because you're holding it for an investment. They're leasing it, and they just have an option to buy it. And that's fine. I mean, I own property, and if somebody comes along and offers me a price I can't refuse, I'm going to do it. Oh, sure. Everything's for sale at some price, Everything right? is for sale. But again, is what, what was the intent? Was it to hold it for the investment, even the lease option, or was it just to turn around quickly and sell it? Okay, now here is a tricky one. What about someone who bought a property and then sold it on land contract? Uh, you you can. The real question uh, about that is is how do you get how do you get that the the how do you buy replacement property with that? So you can do it. It's just a little more complicated. And the other thing on a land contract, not you're still paying the tax, but it is normally installment sale, which would which would spread your tax over a much greater period of time okay. they were doing it. But you definitely uh, would want to consider, especially if they're going to pay it off in three years. Yeah, it's a, it, and it, it does become a practical issue because most land contract buyers put it, put down only a little bit of money. And <laughs> since you, right. have to, you have to do the exchange at the time that you sell... Uh, that kind of, you know, I've only, yeah. I've only got $2,000 down. What am I, what am I doing with that money? Okay. Very good. We are going to, uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we will 
um, talk more about 1031 exchanges and how they work and what you have to do and how they can save you thousands or tens of thousands of dollars yep. in taxes. Uh, and we will also take your questions. You can either send them uh, to askvina at gmail.com. That's askvina at gmail.com. Or you can give us a call here in the studio at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Over the break, I was sent an email by one of my students. Completely off topic, but I have to I have to mention this. Apparently, there's a property manager in Nevada, and this, this happened like an hour ago. It's on Facebook. Uh, somebody walked into her office with a doctor's letter for an emotional support person. So like now I can't keep I can't keep your drug dealing whatever out because he's an emotional support person because your doctor said so. I've got to talk to the fair housing people about this. I don't think this is a thing. I wouldn't think. <laughs> but I'm not surprised somebody tried it. <laughs> but oh my gosh. Uh, okay, so it's Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Scott Ellsworth about uh, 1031 exchanges and some things that you need to tuck into the back of your brain if you're... Um, if you if you ever buy and hold properties because they can do a lot for you uh, back back in the day when you know you could buy I just got a text from Matt saying people are animals <laughs> well some are <laughs> emotional support animals sure okay oh my gosh um I'm sorry this is amuses me so much um back in the day when you know I was doing a lot of lease options and you could buy them uh, you know, relatively cheaply, and then the appreciation was carrying the value up a lot over four or five years. I used to do a lot of 1031 exchanges, and it was generally the case that if I sold one property and it was it, it had a profit at the back end of thirty or forty thousand dollars, I would actually trade that into several. I would I'd be able to leverage sure. that into several more properties. And for a, a newer investor like that, that's a huge like like it really pyramids uh, what you can do. So. We'll talk a little bit more about the, about the rules about that. Um, I do want to clear something up uh, that I heard a speaker say from the stage. It's probably been 10 or 15 years ago um, about this idea of intent. You, you mentioned intent. You mentioned that what the IRS looks, like, looks at when they say, are you or are, are you not eligible for this, is what did you intend to do with the property? And the speaker said that somebody who was buying, fixing, and selling a property could basically just put some for, for rent ads out in the newspaper. You know, they could say, oh, my uh, property at 123 Easy Street is for rent, even though they had no intention. I mean, like inside their heads, they didn't want to rent it. But then they would, then when they sold it, they would exchange it and say, oh, but I intended to rent it. See the ads? What do you think? Well, I, again, it goes back to intent. So, so what's going to happen is, is that let's say you do that and you never, ever buy and hold a property. <laughs> uh, the IRS is, is just going to rip you up when it comes to court and uh, you're just not going to do it. I mean, I do, you know, there are speakers that suggest a, a statement of what your investment policy is, what you're planning to do. I think it's fine. But again, if history shows that you have never held anything for investment, going to be hard pressed. So if I initially have an investor who buys something and they're going to flip it, they're not sure, but but they're pretty sure they're going to flip, but they might rent it. That makes sense. Maybe one, the first one. But after that, I think if you just have a history of constantly, I mean, you, I mean, we've got speakers who, who talk about wholesaling. 
if you're going and you're learning how to wholesale and your intent is to wholesale, uh, it's really going to be hard to do that. So put that uh, rent for rent sign up. I mean, I think that's part of it, but I think just to do that, I think you're you're walking. It falls into that category of you might want you might get away with it, but I, but you wouldn't want to have to defend that person in front of the IRS. I gather. No, no, not <laughs> at all, not at all. We're not going to win. All right, so um, so let's uh, to, to sort of impress upon folks um, how important it is to have this information about 1031 exchanges and and to seriously sit down with pencil and paper before you sell and figure out if you should do an exchange. Um, let's talk about something that all landlords should know, but very few people seem to, which is that it is actually possible to sell a property, and this is what happened to my mom, to sell a property and get you know X amount of cash for it. You know, I, I, after I've paid off my mortgage, I got $100,000, but then somehow miraculously owe $300,000 in taxes, even though you, right. feel like, you feel like all I made on this was $100,000. How does that happen? Well, the, the problem is everybody gets depreciation. Everybody loves depreciation. It's a, it's sort of, it, it, it's a non-cash deduction. I mean, it doesn't come out of your pocket. I mean, you're paying your principal and your interest, but but you deduct your interest. You don't deduct the principal, but you depreciate it. So the problem is, is that you hold the thing for for its whole depreciable life. So I bought a property for a hundred grand. It's depreciated totally, meaning that I got a deduction on the whole thing, less land. We won't get into those details, but but I basically have depreciated the whole thing. So when I go to sell it, I've already gotten my deduction. The IRS isn't going to let me double dip. Mm-hmm. So the IRS says, oh, by the way, your your property really didn't depreciate. We said it did. We we let you have the deduction, which is nice because you get it uh, from a standpoint of it's, it's really a, sort of a temporary loan. It's a temporary deduction unless there is one way you get to permanently have it, but you have to die to do that. Um, <laughs> Not but, worth it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but from the from like-kind exchange piece, that can help mitigate those problems. So those problems are that that now you've sold it for a hundred, you let's say you sold it for what you bought it for. You think, well, I don't know anything. Well, you've owned it for thirty years, and so now the whole hundred is is profit. You owe twenty five thousand bucks in taxes, and you uh, have an eighty percent mortgage on it. Now you've now you're in the hole. Just in that example, which is small, you're in the hole five, maybe ten thousand with closing costs, and and now you can't do it. And I've had people do that uh, where they just they have this big, they call it phantom gain. They think it's phantom, mm-hmm. but in reality it isn't. They took the deductions already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I first discovered that that was the case, when I first discovered that, you know, they were letting me depreciate my property, but then I had to recapture it, because some stuff really does depreciate, right? Like the furnace, it actually is going bad every month, and I eventually right. am going to have to replace it. Um but then, but then having to quote recapture, I was just like, "Well, pff, why do they even say it's a benefit?" But it it actually it actually is if you think about it in terms sure. of if you think about it in terms of what you should be thinking, which is I got to use the money. Right. So you got a tax deduction for the hundred thousand dollars. You maybe let's say save twenty five thousand dollars. You've turned that money into other investments. You bought other properties. You've been able to use that money. So eventually, at some point, uh, when if you were to just sell it outright, you would eventually have to pay the tax that you got the deduction for a long time ago and that makes it that makes it rather nice with an exchange you're actually going to defer that you're going to say hey I'm not going to 
I'm not going to have to pick that up as income because it. I'm just going to wrap roll that up into my new property, which which makes my other property basis not to get too detailed, but that's a little bit. It's less because we take that, that gain off of it. But at that point, you really um, you've avoided paying the tax on that. Now you can take that tax. So if it's a million dollar property and you avoided twenty two hundred fifty grand in in uh, taxes, that's that'll buy a nice property. Yeah, or yeah, at least maybe. <laughs> Uh, maybe the, you've only temporarily bought them, uh, uh, avoided them because, uh, again, when you sell the p- property you replaced your old property with, right. now the taxes are due on the one that you avoided. Plus, if you made money on the new property, they're due again. But, again, there's a way to get past that, and that is just hold the last one until you die. Well, that's right, because if, if you do, when you die, at least ne- right now the law is, that could change. Um, but the way the law reads right now is that when I die – the date of my death, my property, I've got a $1.5 million apartment complex. So when I die, I've depreciated the whole thing. When I die, my kids inherited it. It's worth $2 million. No depreciation is left. If I sold that the day before I died, I would have to pay tax on the $2 million. Mm-hmm. But if I just hold it and they inherit it the day I die, they pay no tax on the $2 million bucks. That is a beautiful thing for them. I'm dead, but uh, hopefully I'm in a better place, right? <laughs> they're sad, but yeah, they're, well, they're sad, also rich. But so. they got a lot of money. <laughs> they got that the to make them feel better. That's right. So, so the strategy that a lot of um, you know sophisticated small investors use is they will exchange and exchange and exchange and exchange and exchange, and w- and when they get to the point where they are old enough that. Uh, proper management of a single family rental or even apartment building is kind of beyond their ability, their health, etc. The last thing they exchange into is something that doesn't really require uh, like like a, a triple net office building. You know, I've got a, a doctor's building that the exactly. doctor pays for all the taxes, all the insurance, all yep. the maintenance, all of that sort of stuff. So it's a really hands off generally low yielding investment. I mean, that's the kind of thing where you'd expect an 8, 10, 12%. Right. Uh, rate of return. But if you've avoided taxes on everything since like you were 30 years old and now you're 70, uh, you can buy a lot of building. You can. For, for, for that for that final exchange. Right. So you do the final exchange. Or in some cases, you, you may be to a point where in your life where you do want to sell it. But hopefully at that point, you're at a you're at a position that you don't owe anything on the building. So if I sell for $2 million and I pay my Five hundred thousand dollars in taxes. I still never went with one point five million, but that whole time I haven't had to pay those taxes for that thirty, mm-hmm. forty years. Um, but I'd much rather die with it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not pay it all. Uh, we've had a couple of questions come in via our website at realliferealestate.com. This first one is from uh, Dave, who is from up in the northeastern Ohio area, and was actually a um, he wrote a book, and he was actually here on the show at one point. Uh, he says, I recently did another 1031 exchange on an apartment building that I had owned for a long time and that sold for six times what I paid. Wow, that's nice. 1031 is the only way to go on fully <laughs> depreciated property. On the other hand, capital gains should be indexed to inflation so that you're not paying capital gains on inflation. That was one of my dad's biggest, like, he was like, why should the why should the government get the benefit of the fact that I'm the one who held out all of these years and and you know, it was just the fact that the that the whole market went up 10% that caused the, quote, profit, and now they get a tax on the fact that I lived another 10 years. <laughs> you know, the, the fact is, is that, and we won't get too political here, but I, I think the, the issue is, is the government, whether you have a business or real estate, 
they're a partner in your business. The thing is they get paid first, right? Mm -hmm. And they have nothing at risk. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a beautiful And if deal? they don't get paid, they've got the full force of the government behind them to punish you, jail you, take your stuff. Yes, that is why the government is your most dangerous partner in business and in life. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Scott Ellsworth, and we're talking about 1031 exchanges. you got questions about this, give us a call, 877-772-9658, or simply send us an email. Use askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Mike didn't nod at me. You, twenty years. I've been looking up for the nod, and you didn't nod, and I didn't know what to do. We're maybe, talking... maybe in the past years he's always been, been dozing off. Maybe yeah, he's really awake for this subject. Now George falls asleep when I talk, but but Mike, you know, he does other things, but he's mostly awake. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we're talking about ten thirty one exchanges with Scott Ellsworth, who is a local CPA here in the Cincinnati area. He's also. Uh, one of the featured speakers on the February 7th Central Ohio RIA meeting at uh, centralohiorea.com. He's going to kind of talk about the same thing, but he's going to have slides and examples and all kinds of cool stuff that helps uh, folks understand that. Uh, you can get a guest pass at centralohiorea.com. Um, all right, so let's get let's get to the to the. Um, kind of boring but important part which is the rules first of all let's do some definitions okay. because there's some words we're going to use when we talk about how this ha actually goes forward that uh, are not normal words that people use uh, the first one is qualified intermediary qualified intermediary is the person who is actually going to take is going to take possession when you sell your property because we're going to do a like kind of exchange we'll talk how to do that but they're going to take your money and they're going to hold it. They're holding your money. They can't be anybody that uh, would be, uh, for instance, your CPA or your attorney. If they've been that in the last two years, they can't be that. So we, we use people that are, that's what they do. Um, and we find the, the ones that have been doing it for years uh, know all the intricacies of all the rules they have to do. Um, and so it's very important to pick a good one because you also don't want them to walk away with your money. Yes, and they've got some reporting that they have to do at the end of the year. Absolutely. And if they mess that up, it's bad. Ask me how I know. <laughs> how do you know, Mina? <laughs> I, I actually had a QI who um, failed to do the reporting that he had to do the IRS, that he had, in fact, taken the money. I hadn't touched it and so on. And my exchange was disallowed. And it wasn't, it, it, as far as I know, it all went correctly, but because he did not provide me with the thing that I had to show the IRS, right. uh, it, it, you know, it wasn't, it was a, like a $30,000 profit. So it, I lost, you know, 7,500 or $8,000 in taxes, which isn't horrible, but I didn't like it. Sure. So a qualified intermediary uh, that, that is somebody who's experienced with this and has a track record is a, a really yeah. good idea. Yeah. 
um, let's talk about you said that you said this term like kind several times. You've said it has to be a like kind exchange. Does that mean if I have a blue single family home with a pink porch, I have to exchange it for another blue fa- single family home with a pink porch? Absolutely. No, I'm oh, just I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> real estate for real estate. So it could be I'm trading it for land. I'm I'm swapping an apartment building for land. I'm swapping an apartment building for a farm. But it, but it's not personal use. That's the, that's the big key is you can't do it with your own house unless part of it was for business. That's a little more complicated. But basically, you just can't be personal. It's got to be for business investment purposes. Um, And related to real estate, you would be in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. Now, the question that people are going to have, because I've heard this before, is could I exchange real estate for a note on real estate? Um, You would probably be okay you're just going to have certain areas where you're going to have to be careful with that um but but it is uh so if you have a if you trade it for a 30-year lease on the on a property you own a a property you're still you're still going to have to be able to trade it for something in that real estate uh, arena okay and and anytime there's a question like that go to the really experienced qualified intermediary exactly before you do it <laughs> yes you do not you don't walk into the stuff lightly so. <laughs> and and ask the questions and i mean i've seen i've seen folks be uh somewhat creative in this arena because Absolutely. it's a little undefined it is um, I know that uh the late great Jack Miller used to talk about exchanging options which aren't even like I, I never, I never owned that property. I never got any income from it. I wasn't able to appreciate it. All I had was a right to buy it, and then I exchanged it for another option. And you know, I'm not saying go do that because I don't know. But. Well, you're, you, those type of things. So the issue is, is for the most part, if it's been being used in business, business and investment, you're going to be able to swap for like kind. It's got to be similar. Um, the difference, you, you can't do that with stocks because I would want to swap my stock that appreciated. <laughs> they don't let you do that, but. Um, so there would be opportunities for options and things like that that you could swap as long as you're like kind. That's what it's called, a like kind exchange. It really is not just geared to real estate, but it tends to be used heavily in the real estate arena more than anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So here's another term that's used a lot in 1031 exchanges, uh, replacement property. Yep. So replacement property is basically the property that you're going to replace used to replace the other property that you're exchanging. So it's typically, if I'm really thinking about outside of the exchange, it's I sell my property, the property I'm going to buy is my replacement property. Okay. And what about this word boot? It's like out of place. Boot, it is. It's it's <laughs> a, it's just, I don't know, I don't know how the term actually came up, but boot is basically the cash you, re- you would receive in the deal or the relief of debt that you would receive. That all be considered boot. And any, th- any boot that you get, so relief of debt or cash in the transaction, you're going to pay tax on. So if you've got a, a transaction that maybe you, you d- basically, if you think about it, we really want to like kind of exchange something that is of higher value or the same value so that the net of that cash and debt relief I'm still going to have the same amount mm-hmm. in the next property. So if I if I if I sell a property for a hundred thousand and my replacement property is ninety, I have a ten thousand dollar taxable boot. I can still avoid the taxes on ninety right. of the hundred, just not that last ten. Correct. And that is true whether, and this is this is where it kind of gets complicated. 
if I had a $100,000 property that I owed nothing on, and I traded it for a $90,000 property, I end up with $90,000 worth of property and $10,000 in cash, which is taxable. If I owed $100,000 on my $100,000 property, and I traded it for a property on which I owed $90,000, I would still have $10,000 in boot because even though I didn't get any cash, I got $10,000 less in debt. That is correct. Okay, so those are, I think, our important terms. Let's talk about the process by which this happens because there are, uh, in addition, some rules about uh, time frame. I can't, right. I can't sell my house today and then kind of leisurely over the course of two years decide what I want to buy. No, and these and these dates are very firm. I mean, there's no exceptions. There's no extensions. There's no. Don't cry. Don't get on your knees. You're just you're out of luck if you miss it by a day. So it's 45 days from the time that you sell the day, basically the day of your closing. You sell your property. You have 45 days to select the replacement property or properties, and you don't know for sure. <coughs> excuse me. That what what you're going to buy. So typically, you will pick out during that 45 days either three properties. Or you can have unlimited number of properties up to 200% of the value of what you're selling. So so let's say, for instance, I didn't know. In other words, you, you can't say my replacement property is everything in MLS, right? <laughs> that, that isn't going to work. But I can do up to 200% of my value. So I might select all these properties, but I haven't written offers on all of them yet. I don't mm -hmm. know if they're going to be taken. Mm -hmm. But I've got to be cognizant of the fact that I've got to select those properties in 45 days. Ideally, I've given my earnest money. I've got a, a purchase contract. That's beautiful. If not, you give that list of those properties to your intermediary, and then they they have it. So that's the 45 days. Then from the date you sold your property, you have 180 days to close on the purchase of the new property. And again, you really aren't buying it. Your intermediary is buying the new property because you don't have the cash. So if you sold your $100,000 property and you had no no debt on it, you would have sold that property, pocketed 100000 less expenses, and the intermediary would have kept that money. You can't touch it. It can't go through your hands. It's not. There's no 60-day rule like IRA rollovers and stuff <laughs> like that. So it's got to go to him uh, or her, and, he, and they're going to they're gonna keep it. You have 180 days to get that deal, the next deal closed. Mm -hmm. And it's just very, you've got to be cognizant of those mm -hmm. time frames. And that's why a lot of people, if they're doing a big exchange, uh, will actually start identifying potential replacement properties before the sale sure. of their property ever happens. I, I was uh, talking a couple of years ago to a family that had inherited an almond orchard Mm -hmm. which turned out to be unbelievably valuable, not because of the almonds, but because it was in California. Sure. And the city had pushed right up to their almond orchard, and this thing was worth millions of dollars. And it had been in the family forever, and it was going to be, like, seriously a million dollars in taxes if they sold it. So uh, they actually looked around for better than a year to try and figure out what, what to do before they even put the almond orchard on the market. Because right. they, they knew they weren't going to be able to just sort of miraculously come up with something to spend $6 million on uh, over the course of 45 days. Now, let me go back and, and emphasize something that you uh, said, which is you can say, I might buy property A or B or C. 
Correct. You just can't say, I might buy any house in Hamilton County. Those are my replacement right. properties. <laughs> All right. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit more about uh, the process and how this works and who has to cooperate in it. We're also going to take your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askbina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Scott Ellsworth, who uh, you'll see at most Cincinnati RIA meetings if you are looking for, um, you know, more specific information about your own situation. Uh, he's at pretty much every meeting. Um, he'll also be at Central Ohio RIA on February the 7th. You can get more information about that at centralohioria.com. Uh, and he knows about a lot more than 1031 exchanges. Um, that just happens to be, you know, the thing that we were talking about today. Uh, okay, so um, Scott, let me let me knock out a couple of questions that have come in uh, since we last talked. Um, a question here from Matt. He says, "Can you exchange a pure long-term ground lease?" Oh, okay. The question is, we keep talking about depreciation. And of course, land isn't depreciable. Correct. So can you exchange land or a ground lease or something like that, even though it didn't take any, I mean, you didn't take any depreciation on it? Uh, sure, you would be able to do that. But the, the thing you would be deferring then would be the capital gain. Mm-hmm. So you're still going to defer the capital gain. So you'd have to decide how much you're going to make, what what bracket are you paying? I mean, if you're in a 0% capital gains rate, which means you're not making much money anyway, but <clears throat> then there's no sense in... In, spending uh, the money to do the exchange to save right. nothing. <laughs> right. And we may be deferring it to a period of time where we have a, we're in a higher bracket. So Right. Um, okay. And one more question and boy, this one I remember I remember hearing about this back in the seventies. I don't know if it's still a thing anymore. Um remember tenants in common deals mm-hmm. from from back in the day when um, depreciation, you could take depreciation over 15 years instead of 27. And that was a big deal. I mean, it meant if you bought a $150,000 building, which would have been a lot of money in 1972, you could take $10,000 a year in depreciation. So people were just buying properties for the depreciation, not, you know, forget the income, right. who cares? Right. And it was a big deal to make those uh, what were called tenants in common deals. So, you know, you and I, instead of forming an entity to own the building, would we would each own it as tenants in common because right. that way if we sold you could take your 75,000 and exchange it but I could just go spend my $75,000 right? right um is that is, is that still done uh it can be you don't see it as often now obviously but you can do that i mean if you own a piece an interest in that property essentially that's what you've got then yes you can exchange your piece of it now again a lot of things have to fall into place. Your whoever's in it with you has got to agree to sell it or agree to let somebody else be another owner of that property. But yeah, you can do it. Yeah, you know, um, that is yet another reason <coughs> to sit down and do your entity planning, especially with unrelated partners. Yeah, very carefully. Very very carefully. Because it's uh, I, I it occurred to me I'm I'm sitting down with a partner next week and and for a while now we've been in this uh, we've been in this thing where. Um, she bought the property I've been leasing it from her. Now we're going to change the nature of that relationship so that we're co-owners of the property. And that question just reminded me that uh, we probably want to be tenants in common rather than form a new entity because I know she's not going to want to exchange when we sell, and I'm pretty sure I would want to exchange. So, uh, you know, guys, this this is why you keep 
getting educated and going to RIA meetings and especially, you know, don't don't only get fascinated with the stuff that's real high hype, rah, rah, going to make a lot of money because keeping it is just as important as making it. Is, it is, it <sighs> is. All right. So uh, let me climb off the soapbox here and go sit back down in the chair. Um, all right. So so in this whole in this whole deal, um, I've decided that I'm going to put my property in the market. I've decided I'm probably going to make enough money to want to exchange it. Who all has to cooperate in this? Does 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 it have anything to do with a guy who buys my property at all? No, I mean in the before they had like kind of exchange rules, the the defer we call deferred exchange. You could, I mean, if I had a property that you wanted, you had a property I wanted, we would exchange. Now, the likelihood that they're exact same values and is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So with the nice thing about the like-kind exchange, the 1031 deferred exchange, is that I can go ahead and sell it. I can then take the, the intermediary, qualified intermediary, really takes the money, holds it. We go out and find the other property. So really, the buyer of mine and the seller of what I'm going to buy don't have to really be involved at all. It doesn't matter whether they agree with it or not. We can just do it. Okay. Okay. So uh, that thing that I have heard that says that you you better put it in your purchase agreement with your buyer and also when you are buying with your seller that they agree to cooperate with the 1031 exchange is probably a hangover from back in the days when it was literally we're trading houses. Right. I mean, I mean, you could get I, I I could get five people with different properties all in one big deal to everybody swapping and and that would be a and no. The the fact is, sellers they're selling the property. They don't want to mess around with that. They just mm-hmm. want to sell their property. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'd be a good story though. That'd yes. probably win deal of the year if you could get five people and do yeah. a circular yeah. exchange. <clears throat> that would be yeah. Yeah. All right. So so uh, can you give us a rough uh, estimate of of how much this costs. Does the intermediary charge a flat fee? Is it based on how much money is being handled? What? How does that? Most intermediaries that that we engage would charge a flat fee. You can go anywhere from <clears throat> let's say five hundred to fifteen hundred. Five hundred is the wrong amount. Mm. Don't go cheap on this. Um, your intermediary is going to be able to help you. If I mean, we're going to have. I don't know. We've really had any major difficult questions, but there are some. Some people have brought ideas of an exchange to me, and I've I've just I thought about it, and I thought we got to talk to the the intermediary because that's all they do. That's he does that all day long, all year, and he's been doing it for twenty years. So you find something like that. About fifteen hundred bucks is probably that, and then your CPA is going to require some time, maybe, um, you know, you might have 500 bucks worth of time, depends on what hourly rate they're at. But so I would think a couple thousand bucks uh, for your exchange would be a good number to assume. Okay, okay. So if I'm in the decision-making process about am mm-hmm. I going to bother to do a 1031 exchange and follow all the rules about identifying the next property in 45 days and having to close it in 180 and somebody else holds my money, what what thought process needs to go into that well i think it's it's what are your goals if i'm 70 and i don't even want to buy and have anybody manage or have a triple net i just want to be out of real estate then it's hopefully you've you've not leveraged a thing to death and you can go ahead and take your money pay your taxes and and 
be done with it or sell something on an installment of contract if you don't want to. I mean, it really depends on what your goal is. But if your goal is to keep accumulating property, keep building up your portfolio, or just moving up. I mean, I start with one house, and then I end up with a four-family, then a 12-family, then a 44-unit, then a 100-unit. I mean, a like-kind exchange is beautiful, and you definitely want to use it for something like that. Um, it just depends on what what your ultimate goal is. If you really want to get out of it and move to Florida and sit on the beach and enjoy the fruits, that then I don't know that a like-kind exchange is, is for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I intend to reinvest, that's a, that's a, you know, let's look at the next step. And then the next, the next step after that is, is it going to save me significantly more than the $2,000 that it might cost me? You know, if you're only making 10 grand on the deal, the chances that it's going to save you more than the $2,000 is not great. So just, you know, take your eight and go do what you're going to do with it. And it usually relates to properties you've held for a long time. There's more depreciation recapture, the cap, it's had a chance to appreciate, so the capital gains higher. So it's usually if you've only held the held the property for two years, probably not. But there are examples where somebody who's even going to flip, if they'll just hold it for a year or two, and then flip it. Granted, they have to probably remodel it because the tenants trashed it, but <laughs> but um, but they can use that even though even if they've held it and they plan to flip it, but they don't do it for one or two years. Okay, we've got about we've got about two more minutes, and I just got a question that I definitely want to ask you. This this one is from Sandra, who lives in Newport. She said, "I just had a national company come in and offer to buy five rental properties of mine all at once. What I want to know is, when I sell these five, can I trade all five of them into a single larger building?" Absolutely. So she'd be able to do that. So you'll be able to sell all those, but get before you sign as you're signing that contract. Get with that intermediary, um, and again, just be careful picking one because they're holding your money. So don't do it Jimbo's Section 1031 exchanges, <laughs> and he'll walk off with your money, or he'll go bankrupt, uh-huh. and then his creditors get your money. Yeah, not he's you. not, and he's not kidding, Sandra. I've, I actually, uh, uh, there was a, a company up in Pennsylvania that was a nationally known company that was taking a whole bunch of people's money, and as it turned out, they had themselves a little pyramid scheme going where they were, you know, spending Scott's money, but that was okay because then when Mike deposited his money, they could use it to buy Scott's new property. And when it all came tumbling down, there were millions of dollars missing. So, um, yeah, no kidding. And that is a great question, Sandra. Just make sure. uh, I've seen sometimes when these hedge funds come in and buy rental properties, they end up wanting to close at different times. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do this, you probably need to insist on a single closing date for all five properties so that you don't come up short uh, on what you're trying to uh, get out of it for your new property that you want to buy. All right. So very good, Scott. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom about 1031 Exchanges today. Again, if folks want to see more of you, they can come to any Cincinnati RIA meeting, CincinnatiRIA.com, or they can come to the February 7th CORE meeting at CentralOhioRIA.com. We're going to be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.